welcome to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Bird. With me, of course... Matt Parmley. Hi. How are you, Matt? Uh, I am good. I've had a week, but we, we can, you know, we, we got other th- cool things to talk about today. <laughs> uh, yeah, so with us is returning, uh, we have John LeMay, uh, who just put out another Lost Films book, uh, and that is Kong Unmade, The Lost Films of Skull Island, uh, all about the unmade King Kong films, and... Also in there, uh, there's essays by folks including uh, Justin Mullis, um, Don Glute, uh, and a guy by the name of Kyle Bird, who, um, I don't know, he seems pretty cool. Uh, I, I put his essay in the back of the book. It's like the very last thing. Yeah, his essay was garbage. That's probably why it's, it's the last thing in there. Uh, but anyway, yes, John, welcome back. Um and yeah, we are going to talk about the book and uh, more lost films. It seems like you have no shortage of those to talk about. No, I, I was just curious, is, um, is Tom going to be joining us tonight? Tom's probably getting swole somewhere. Okay. Yeah, we That's, don't have I mean, Tom with us. Okay, I mean, yeah, it's not like I like him or anything, it's just his arms are so big. I'm like squeezable. I just I yeah, thought maybe you, he might you guys be on can't, here. Yeah, and you guys can't trade uh, uh, <laughs> workout uh, tips, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> um, so welcome back. It's uh, it's weird to think that it's only been like less than a month and a half <laughs> since we were all together at G Fest, but um, but Time yeah, flies, how, man. yeah how how you been? Good, just busy working on projects, and same old, same old. All right. Well, um, without further ado, we have uh, quite a few questions to to power through here, um, and it's not even like scratching the tip of the iceberg for what's in here. I mean, just like usual, you've got uh, you've packed this thing with all kinds of stuff that we're going to get into. So I guess I'll start by saying. Uh, what ch- what made you choose King Kong as the subject for your third Lost Films book? I, I should mention, uh, for anyone who doesn't know somehow at this point, um, in addition to writing the big book of Japanese giant monsters, volumes one and two, uh, you've also written uh, the Lost Films, uh, uh, Terror of the Lost Tokusatsu Films, and... Now this one. So this is your third Lost Films book. So why Kong uh, and why now? So that it's funny. Um, it didn't actually start as a Lost Films book. I had this naive idea that I would do a guide and review book of all the like giant ape Kong-related movies like um, Konga and White Pongo and just, you know, Bride of the Gorilla, just like a guidebook of just every single gorilla movie they ever made. And <laughs> I eventually realized, first of all, I don't think there's enough maybe to do a full book. And second, those movies, a lot of them really suck. And to actually watch them all the way through was complete and total torture. Um, like, White Pongo was horrible. Um, Nabonga is another horrible one. They just, they are really hard to get through. So 
Um, <clears throat> but uh, what I was thinking though is okay, so I'd do some of these movies, and then I would do an appendix for the the movies that they didn't make because I didn't think there were that many. And as I started to research that, I realized um, there's actually quite a few unmade Giant Eight movies. You know, most of which starred King Kong. Some of them didn't. And I realized there's actually enough to do just a lost uh, King Kong, you know, movie book, kind of like I did with, you know, Godzilla and Gamera. And, and the really great thing about King Kong is all the information is actually in English as opposed to Japanese. So that made it a lot easier. Okay. That actually uh, ties into my, ne- my next question is how long did the research portion for the book take? How long did it take you just to write the book in general? And then you kind of mentioned this, but I mean, I'd imagine you have to set a chunk of time aside just to watch all of these movies. What was that process like? Yeah, the watching the films was the most difficult part. Um, thankfully, a lot of those old ones were like only maybe an hour and 10 minutes long or less. Um, and some of them I actually did enjoy. I don't want to make it sound like I hated all of them, but like Yeti Giant of the 20th Century I enjoyed, actually. Um, but no, the research process, again, went a lot quicker because, you know, again, all of the uh, information was in English. I got it from uh, Brigham Young University. That's where Marion C. Cooper donated his papers after he passed away. And, um, I mean, it's really um, convenient how this works. You just contact the university over email, you pay them X amount of dollars, and then then they send you digital scans of everything that you need. So I had all these letters that, like, Marion C. Cooper would write to his lawyer um, about ideas he had for King Kong sequels and King Kong comic books and just... Uh, the original King Kong script was in there. It was called The Beast. Just all kinds of stuff. And again, you know, because I didn't have to translate it, it went a lot faster. Um, I had a lot of fun doing it. I want to say the bulk of the work was done within about four months. And then, like you said, watching the films for the uh, the appendix I did was probably the lengthiest portion or the most time-consuming portion of it. Okay. told me his favorite of the the uh, bunch is ape. By the way, <laughs> nobody's ape isn't anyone's favorite anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Okay, so the it seems then then the Marion C. Cooper papers uh, that w- was that you would say your primary um, resource. Yeah, it, it's I didn't know they existed until later, um, but they were an absolute gold mine. Um, for instance, like I'd heard about a project called Space Kong, and I thought it was just made up, but it was actually Marion C. Cooper's idea, and it was in his papers. So and that that um, one was a yeah. comic book where Kong is in space, right? Oh yeah, well, okay. So was it's space tied Kong into the comic book. <laughs> no, uh-uh. so what it was is this idea is presented in a letter to Cooper's lawyer Charles Fitzsimmons. They're talking about a company that wants to do a King Kong comic book, and uh, Cooper says, well, I have this idea that uh, it it would still be a sequel. Um, They go off into outer space and crash land on this planet, and the planet has dinosaurs, and it has like another version of King Kong on it. And then I think it was uh, Fitzsimmons, the lawyer, said, well, you know, I think that would make a better film why don't let's not give the comic book people that idea let's try to make that into a film and then cooper liked that and so i it would have been around 1969 cooper was thinking about you know let's do a king kong sequel in space that would have been crazy (laughs) 
I think it's for the best that one didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we like we would enjoy it. Like yeah. us, the guys who were born after it came out, like we would love it. But the people who were like, I don't know, like in their thirties who had seen the original Kong and watched this remake in space would have like hated it probably. And Imagine I don't if know. someone tried that now. <laughs> that sounds like an asylum movie. <laughs> like not <laughs> not as like a cartoon or anything. Like yeah. like a big budget like <laughs> Kong in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um. <clears throat> so I want to pivot to Bird for a minute because you did write an essay for this book. Uh, the Road to Kong, Making the Lost World. Uh, world. Was uh, John as difficult to work with as they say? Is that <laughs> John the person uh, hard to work yeah, with? Yeah, he's, an, he's a, a, a nightmare to work around. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Thank you. Um, let me ask you this. How did you, how did you select the essay content? And then you know, just talk about what was in your essay. Talk about The Lost World. Um, and as Kong. far as how we... I don't even remember, John. Do you remember how I got involved? I mean, it came out of just like a natural conversation, and uh, I think I don't. I don't really. I think I suggested something, and then John said, "Like, well, why don't you? Why don't you write about the lost world?" I, I feel like that was like ten years ago, even though it wasn't. But do you remember how that came about? That sounds about right to me, and I'm like you. It- it seems like it was like ten years ago, even though it was probably like exactly a year ago right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was just joking about putting it in the back of the book because it's kind of like Stan Hyde's really awesome essay he wrote for the Lost Films. I put as like the closing, you know, portion of the Lost Films book. So I thought this would be a good, you know, like closing, you know, um, closing but, chapter. But it is a good question on why we decided to even have that is something in the book. Um, and there's really a few reasons. Um, the Lost World itself is a movie that I, I, I personally, um, feel like is oddly like not talked about even among giant monster fans. It's always, it began with King Kong, but the lost world really, especially for Willis O'Brien, and his stop-motion technique, and, you know, having a giant creature rampage through a city, um, in a lot of ways, it was kind of a test run for King Kong. I mean, they didn't know that at the time, but, um, so it's really, that's kind of where I kind of trace back the whole genre of, you know, giant monster destroys a city. Um, so just kind of shedding a little bit more light on that and kind of giving it a little bit more love. But then also, uh, one thing I think a lot of people might not know is that The Lost World itself is a lost film, also. Um, the version, even the most complete version on the most recent Blu-ray, is still not complete. Um, the The complete version of it doesn't exist. Um, what we have now on the most recent Blu-ray that came out a couple years ago is the most complete version that could be constructed with from various elements from different collectors. Um, because what had happened was uh, back in the early days of movies, I mean, they weren't cultural artifacts like they are now. Um, they were just not really thought of as, as things that are going to go down as these big pop culture things or anything. And so um, when talking movies started to be, come into style, 
um, they wanted to do a sound version of The Lost World. And so, I mean, in the early days of film, we're talking like very early days of theatrical motion pictures. They, they were like, okay, we're going to do a sound version. We don't need the old one. Burn it. And so <laughs> the original Lost World doesn't exist. Um, and what we have now, it can you might be able to say is close, but uh, that version of the movie doesn't exist, probably won't ever exist, um, the way that it was seen theatrically. So that in itself is a lost film. Um, same with uh, Willis O'Brien's film before that, Ghost of Slumber Mountain. Uh, that exists in about an eight-minute reel. Um, it was something like 30, 40 minutes, but all we have now is more or less about 10 minutes. And so I go into the making of both of those films in this essay... And also, um, there's a lot of history in the Lost World that, um, I mean, I think is still kind of outdated in what gets passed around. Um, uh, mostly, Willis O'Brien and his contemporary that he did Ghost of Slumber Mountain with, uh, Herbert Dolly, um, for years and years and years and years, I mean, decades, you know, the narrative was that Dolly was kind of the villain in Obi's life, uh, and he had O'Brien's name removed from Ghost of Slumber Mountain uh, just out of spite, and he was trying to take credit for his work, but um, there's a lot of kind of legal papers and stuff that were found in Dolly's archive that kind of show that, you know, O'Brien kind of, you know, wasn't wasn't an angel either um you know dolly left him in charge and when he got back o'brien's name was on the program as a producer um and dolly and o'brien already didn't work well together and so on and so forth um and you know he basically kind of put his name on it when dolly was gone handling some other things um, so there's like a very bitter rivalry that started from all this, and it wasn't until 2014 when uh, Stephen Cherkis, who is a film historian and stop-motion animator, uh, unearthed all this information, and it was in an issue of Cinefix, and um, I, I mean, I I would never try and take anything away from O'Brien, I mentioned that in the article, I mean, he's the reason for everything in the world of, of special effects, but um, he wasn't all innocent in this case either um so i go into detail on those things that i just don't think get talked about a lot and i think to a degree there's some you know we don't want to admit that our heroes might have done something not nefarious right you know (laughs) but um you know i mean obviously either way o'brien went on after slumber mountain to be like the person that changed everything. Um, and then, yeah, another thing about the lost world for those who don't know or haven't seen it. Um, it's about an expedition to a land where there's dinosaurs and they bring a brontosaurus back and it gets loose and it runs on a rampage. And if it sounds familiar, it's because it's like the template for how many of these movies we've seen now. And, um, uh, when they were making King Kong, RKO actually bought the rights to the Arthur Conan Doyle novel, The Lost World, because they were like, hey, our story is very similar to The Lost World. Um, and in the early drafts of the credits, uh, Ed, um, um, Arthur Conan Doyle and The Lost World were actually credited on King Kong, saying something like, suggested by Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World. So. Um, there's a lot of reasons to talk about the lost world in a Kong book, especially a book about lost films. 
Um, and yeah, that's kind of my rambly answer as to why it's relevant. So, Matt, does that answer your question? <laughs> it does. Um, we should also mention we interviewed Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas? Yeah, yeah. Nicol- yeah. Nick, uh, Nicholas uh, Chacon came on here a couple years ago, around the time that Blu-ray was released. He um, was involved in the reconstruction. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a whole wealth of information came from him, too. He he did an excellent commentary on the Blu-ray disc. Um, uh, so, yeah, shout out to him. And also, yeah, I mean, go find that episode because there's a lot of interesting stuff in there so um we're going to talk about a lot of obscure stuff but i want to bring up creation really quick can you talk about what creation was and how that led to kong yeah creation was basically kind of sort of a remake of the lost world in terms of the concept it would have had the same director uh, henry hoyt i think he was the uh, uh, the Harry, main, Harry Hoyt. Harry, thank you, Harry Hoyt. Yeah, I'm going by memory now, um, which is dangerous. Um, so yeah, he brought that to um, RKO, and they kind of balked at the budget. Um, Willis O'Brien had already created a ton of uh, dinosaur, you know, models for the stop motion, and he had filmed uh, some footage already. And uh, basically, Marion C. Cooper became involved with RKO at that point, and Cooper was the one who ironically shut the project down. And uh, Cooper at the time just wanted to make um, a movie about a giant ape, and in Cooper's mind, the giant ape would battle Komodo dragons. But then Cooper realized, oh wait, we've got all of these stop-motion dinosaur models laying around, why don't we throw out the Komodo dragons and we'll uh we'll just use these dinosaur models. So that's why King Kong fights the dinosaurs mainly is because they already existed. So I guess you could actually argue if if the dinosaurs hadn't been created already for creation, that Cooper might have actually designed the other monsters based off of Komodo dragons because he was like really fascinated by those. And uh that creation test footage is actually is still around um it's on the blu-rays for both lost world and king kong i believe so yeah and i guess we i didn't even talk about the storyline for creation um again it's really similar to the lost world or actually it's actually more similar i would say to the land that time forgot because it's an island that raises out of the ocean and these people get shipwrecked on it and i think they get to the island through an underwater passageway also like land that time forgot and um their submarine gets stranded and they can't they need to fix the radio which again is similar to land that time forgot their submarine is stranded and they're trying to refine some crude oil to get it working again in that case so i I really would have to think that harry hoyt had uh read the land that time forgot and was kind of stealing from that maybe or maybe he just had the same ideas but to me the those two are very similar stories um so I know we mentioned earlier um, you were able to look at the the Beast, the original script for King Kong. So tell us about that um, original draft and how it differs from the the final product. Sure. So Kong is still basically the same. Um, what's different is there's two different. Um, parties in terms of the human characters you know and and the finnish king kong they're all on the same boat and they're all under the employ of carl denham 
So in The Beast, um, you've got two different ships. You've got a, a boatload of convicts that are being transported across the ocean. I don't remember why. And they have ship trouble, and I think one of the prison guards um, makes it out on a lifeboat with some of the convicts. And I think he has like the warden's secretary with him, and her name is Trixie, and she's basically the Anne Darrow character. And they, they row ashore to the island, and as they do, they're attacked by a sea serpent, which is basically, I, I think, a brontosaurus in the script. And uh, they have to swim to shore. So basically, the, the raft scene from the finished King Kong was supposed to happen, or in The Beast, it happens right away as they're swimming, as they're rowing to the island in this boat. Um, Carl Denham is on a separate journey. He is... Um, going to Skull Island. Actually, I shouldn't call it... They didn't call it Skull Island in The Beast. Um, it, it was an un, It was called Vapor Island in The Beast. Um, and Carl Denham is out to capture a sea serpent that, that Captain Englehorn said that he saw. And so basically how it works out is um, Denham doesn't get to the island until very late in the script and it's basically like Kong is chasing the uh, the protagonist across the beach right as Denim happens to show up and then he uses his gas bombs to knock out the ape um, so it's kind of I don't know if I'd say disjointed but it's different you know um, that's that's the main way in which it's you know different from the finished film and is that Edgar Wallace yes okay um, did, did, well, I guess Trixie in this version, did she have any, um, relationship with Kong or was she like Anne where she was just terrified the whole time? I would say her relationship with Kong is actually better than Anne's because they have a scene where, uh, Kong begins to imitate Trixie's actions and they kind of have a little bonding moment where I think she's drinking some water or something and he imitates her. You know, and again, that that was one thing that I don't really like about the original King Kong is, to me, Anne and Kong don't have a relationship compared to Dwan and Kong in the 76 remake. And then and Peter Jackson picked up on that for his remake. So um, I'm, I'm really disappointed that's something that they lost in that, you know, first King Kong. Yeah. But it was actually there in The Beast. Okay. So you could still say that they, well, they almost did it first almost <laughs> yeah. yeah um i, I want to talk about the short film which is probably one of the strangest films included in the book the lost island can you tell us what it was and just kind of a bit about the the plot so that was just basically a total spoof on king kong would have actually been in technicolor um i guess to make it funnier they instead of hiring actors they had marionettes that look like actors so like um the marionette for and for the andero character looked like may west and the marionette for or the puppet maybe i should call it a puppet the puppet for carl denham looked like groucho marx <laughs> so um and i really don't know what the story is i mean i i kind of go based off the title the title the lost island i'm sure it's just a short remake of King Kong, and um, it was all people in suits, you know. Um, Charles Gamora was a famous suit actor as far as, like, apes went. You know, he was uh, the suit actor for that. And then there was also a dragon suit made for the movie. And as far as I know, those are the only two monster suits. And the people and were I think, puppets. 
Yeah, yeah, puppets. Yeah, there's some pictures in your book, and they're they're pretty awesome. Honestly, I'm cracking up looking at them right now. How yeah. far did that get? I mean, they did they sh- they had to have shot something, right? Because I mean, there's pictures at least. Yeah, they shot a little bit, and I think it was just too expensive to finish, and they felt like it was cheaper to just abandon it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was a really strange one I never heard of. Um, Speaking of which, one that is, like, surprisingly obscure um, is Abbott and Costello meet King Kong, which I, I mean, this was the first I'd heard of it, and even, like, trying to find other stuff on it like there's not much out there um explain to us how you found out about well i mean i want you to talk a little bit about that project and what it was and led to but also how did you find out about that uh and also just yeah what would the film have been like sure so first of all i'll fess up that i only have one source for abbott and costello meet king kong um, it's a French fan site devoted entirely to King Kong, and they had a section on Lost Projects. And every single one of their Lost Projects checked out. Like, I found other sources that confirmed them. And Abbott and Costello Meet King Kong was the only one I couldn't find another source for, but because they seemed pretty trustworthy, um, I went ahead and included it. Um, so that project was actually called, uh, or it started as Abbott and Costello Meet Captain Kid. And in that version, it's just Abbott and Costello uh, get tangled up with Captain Kidd the pirate. They become shipwrecked on Skull Island. Um, oddly enough, though, King Kong really isn't the focus. He's he's in it a little bit. Um, he kidnaps the female lead, and Abbott and Costello go to rescue her. Um, I believe they come across a whole family of King Kongs in like a humorous scene. And Kong chases them through the island, but Kong oddly does not play into the climax. Um, they leave the climaxes more in them dealing with Captain Kidd, hence the real title, Abbott and Costello Meet Captain Kidd. Um, at some point, they decided it was too ambitious of a project, so they decided, let's do Abbott and Costello Meet Captain Kidd by itself, and that was actually produced in the 1950s at some point. Um, and they decided to make Abbott and Costello Meet King Kong a separate project. And when it was under that title, I unfortunately don't know how the story changed before it was abandoned. Um, But all I seem to gather is that uh, once that project was completely dead, later when they made Africa Screams, supposedly why they include the giant ape is because they almost did Abbott and Costello meet King Kong. And and the the, uh, Abbott and Costello meet Captain Kidd that they did make... They actually still go to Skull Island. It's just a boring, like there's no dinosaurs or King Kong version of Skull yeah, Island. Yeah, that's correct. Right? <laughs> um, no, that's that's crazy. And I, you know, I'd heard, like I've I've heard some people kind of jokingly refer to uh, Africa Screams as Abbott and Costello meet King Kong, but um, yeah, I mean, I, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is one of my favorites. Uh, so I I would have been. I would have been all about it. Um, so I guess uh, I want to get into a little bit, um, as a lot of people know, King Kong vs. Godzilla originated as a story by Willis O'Brien uh, as King Kong vs. Frankenstein, but that turned into King Kong vs. the Jinko. Uh, 
so would you be able to tell us uh, about those two projects just a little bit and how um, how they compare? Sure. Um, okay, yeah, I believe the first draft was King Kong versus Frankenstein, and Willis O'Brien was a little bit worried that he would have to pay Universal some sort of royalty um, to get Frankenstein, and he didn't know that Frankenstein was actually in the public domain. He just couldn't use Universal's makeup for yeah. his monster design. What's ironic is Willis O'Brien didn't realize that he did not own King Kong or that he couldn't make a King Kong movie just because he worked on the original. I think he had that assumption at first until he met with uh, Daniel O'Shea or somebody and they informed him, no, RKO still owns the rights. You're going to have to get their permission, even though you are Willis O'Brien. And so I believe that's when he went to John Beck and John Beck, I think got George Worthington Yates involved and he retitled it. In the second round, I think King Kong versus Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, they came up with this King Kong versus the Ginkgo. And that's uh, Ginkgo uses all the same letters that are in the name King Kong. So it's, you know, I, I still think King Kong versus Prometheus is much better. Um, but they're all basically the same. Um, I think the big difference is the first two drafts have Carl Denham. And the final third draft does not have Carl Denham for some reason. Um, something I think is interesting is that um, Willis O'Brien, in his in all of his treatments for King Kong versus Frankenstein, he totally retconned uh, Son of Kong, which he did not like. You know, in Son of Kong, Skull Island sinks mm-hmm. and disappears forever. But in uh, King Kong versus Frankenstein. Uh, Skull Island still exists, and not only that, um, the backstory is that right after King Kong fell from the Empire State Building, he was still alive, and Carl Denham uh, smuggled him back to Skull Island in secret, Um, and then years later, there's this mad scientist who's a descendant of Dr. Frankenstein, and he stitched together a giant body out of big elephants like rhinos and elephants. And it's kind of this humanoid monster. And he brings it to San Francisco. And then Carl Denham thinks, well, we'll display Kong alongside of it. Um, and then they both get loose and they fight. And, you know, um, something that I think a lot of people don't know is that at the, the end of the story, the, the two monsters climb the Empire, or not the. Uh, the Empire State Building. They climb the Golden Gate Bridge and they have their fight on the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's actually pretty similar to the ending of King Kong Escapes mm. um, where they fight on Tokyo Tower. So I've always kind of thought that since Toho at one point had the script for King Kong versus the Ginkgo or Prometheus, uh, I, I kind of wonder if that idea stuck in their minds and that carried over into King Kong Escapes later. Yeah. Well, the idea of a giant Frankenstein monster definitely did. Yes. Um, so from Frankenstein to Prometheus to the Ginkgo, does the does the monster he fights change at all or is it just in the title? Cuz like I don't I, know what a yeah, Ginkgo is. I think it's the same every time and something else really interesting I want to bring up is that um it's it's totally possible that Toho as they were producing Frankenstein Conquers the World and they had their giant Frankenstein, it's totally possible that they were actually thinking of doing King Kong versus Frankenstein in 1965 because there's a, a magazine that says 
uh, to- I think it was Monster World number seven said that Toho was going to produce King Kong versus Frankenstein next. And I, I know it could just be like a, a mistranslation or a rumor, but I mean, Toho had the rights to King Kong for five years. Um, that so when they bought the rights for Kong for King Kong versus Godzilla, it gave them rights until 1967 to use the character. They just never used them again until King Kong escapes. So it, it is actually a very real possibility that Toho almost made King Kong versus Frankenstein later on down the road. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. And, uh, I mean, as and it also as the book gets into Toho, I mean, I guess Lost Films and Kong Unmade both kind of go into the many, many attempts Toho has had through the years to try and get Kong back. Uh, and now, thanks to Legendary, they that's where we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I got to confess, though, I mean, doesn't part of you feel a little bit bad about that? Because, like, just the way John Beck screwed Willis O'Brien over so bad... I mean, a lot of people don't know this. I mean, first of all, I mean, it's one of many things that just horrible that happened to O'Brien's career. But I mean, uh, his wife even said, you know, that having that project pulled away from him and turned into King Kong versus Godzilla may have contributed to what killed him. Um his life was full of career failures like that, and this this one just seemed to be like the final thing where it was just like, you know, I he didn't know what to do. Yeah, and Marion C. Cooper, I didn't know this until I looked through his letters. He actually tried to sue Toho yeah. for producing the film. He hated it so much. It's just he didn't have clear legal rights to King Kong. I know, it's crazy. Like, I mean, the whole... Thing with uh, RKO, Willis O'Brien, Mary C. C. Cooper. I mean, Cooper and O'Brien are like they're 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 the two people that were like arguing over you know who has the rights to the character, and then the guy that made all the money uh, from this project is the guy that had nothing to do with the (laughs) with the character. (laughs) And and it's 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 really pretty sad. And yeah, I mean, part of me feels a little bit of like it, it just feels like conflicted about the fact that like yeah king kong and godzilla because of this and because of willis o'brien being like stabbed in the back hardcore like they're all those two franchises are always going to be like tangled up together and it's like you know the guy's next year he's going to be doing like backflips in his grave (laughs) You know, uh, yeah, you can't help but feel a little bad. I mean, Matt and I are probably going to get way into O'Brien's career in a later episode because, yeah, you have to. But it's it's full of just it's awfulness like and yeah, sadness. Bumming and, hard, Bert. Bumming hard right now. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot to uh, something that's in totally, totally insane. Mario Bava's Baby Kong. Uh, can you just go into the background for this? So what's funny about Mario Bava is apparently um, Dino De Laurentiis wanted Bava to be his special effects technician on the King Kong remake. Um, And I don't know if this was prior to him working on Baby Kong or after he got the idea for Baby Kong, but 
I mean, either way, Baby Kong was another one of those movies born out of the hype for the King Kong remake. And it's another one I'm, I think it's for the best that it, it didn't get produced. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, some of these movies I can look at and be like, be like, yeah, that would have been a flop if it had come out. But like guys like me and you would enjoy it. But like, that's one where like, if I actually, it got made and I watched it, I can just imagine myself being like bored. It kind of uh, got made. I mean, there, Conga does exist. It's basically the same. <laughs> yeah, it's similar to Conga because it's a chimpanzee. It's a it's a baby chimpanzee that gets a growth formula based out of a plant, just like Conga. Only he stays as a giant baby chimp, and he has like a, a little boy that's his friend. And then it's kind of sad because he dies in the end. And I don't know. It's it's uh, I don't know. I think that one's another one that I'm I'm glad that one didn't get made. And I don't usually say that very often. Um, I am a Bava fan, but I'm not such a fan that I know all the years and what his films were and where they line up. But chances are, whatever he did instead was a much better use of his time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the legend of King Kong. I mean, probably the most infamous of all of these, um, which was... Universal's aborted remake, um, just because, yeah, Universal and Paramount both thought they could make a King Kong movie that got into a huge, crazy rights debacle that is still confusing people to this day, um, but yeah, what, what was their take on it like? Well, first of all, I I think it's funny because they always say it's not what you know, it's who you know. And Dino De Laurentiis knew the owner of the General Rubber and Tire Company, which owned RKO. And he had that direct uh, connection with, with, I forgot what his name was, but, but that's partly why his version won out. And Dino also offered him more money. Um, but yeah, Legend of King Kong. Um, I think most King Kong fans wish it would have been made in place of Dino's version. I think Dino's version actually is, would have been better. I mean, I think I think it's a good thing that's the version that got made. Um, so the big thing with the Legend of King Kong that fans liked about it was it was going to be basically the the 33 film, not updated, but just totally remade as it was. It was still set in the 1930s. It was going to actually use Max uh, Steiner's original score all over again. Um, it would have had the dinosaurs. And people mistakenly are under the impression that King Kong was going to be a Jim Danforth stop-motion King Kong, but he wasn't. Uh, the legend of King Kong was actually also going to be a suit. Um, and in fact, they did their test footage with, um, you know how they did Andre the Giant as Bigfoot on the $6 million man? Yeah. They actually used that suit for their test footage and their miniatures. Um, only some of the dinosaurs were going to be stop motion. And whenever Kong would fight the dinosaur, there was kind of a debate as to whether or not, well, should Kong be stop motion in those scenes? But if Kong is stop motion, will he match up with the dinosaur? Like, will his stop motion form match up with his suit? So, I I mean, it's it's not like the stop motion love fest that most people think it was going to be. It, it would have actually been a lot of suitmation. And then only the dinosaurs, I believe, in like their their individual scenes without Kong would have been stop motion. 
That sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> wasn't and yeah. maybe I maybe I'm misremembering, but wasn't there also talk of using like certain scenes with little people? That's right. Um, so so that they could build uh, more realistic miniatures. They thought about casting a little person as King Kong just to make the miniature work easier, and that's yep, that's correct. Uh, Wild. <laughs> but uh, I will one one cool thing though I will say is a lot of the elements of Legend of King Kong kind of did make their way into uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong eventually. Just certain little elements, um, like I like New York at Christmas time. That was in yeah. Legend of King Kong. And some other things too. I can't bring them to mind. Legend but... was another period piece, right? Like yeah, the, the, yeah. Thirties in the thirties. Yeah, nineteen. Yeah. I think it was set in nineteen thirty-three, the same year as the film. Um. Yeah. There's a sketch in here. Um. Of I guess what Kong may have looked like, and it instead of an ape, he looks has more like a of a Neanderthal like kind of humanoid. Uh, look to him. Um, is that something that they were intending on sticking with? It sounds like they kind of didn't know how to do Kong. Um, but I, at one point, were they using uh, makeup and appliances on an actor to to kind of do something like that? Now that you say that, and considering they used the Bigfoot suit, I would guess that was the case. They were trying to design him more human-like as a way of, instead of an actor wearing a mask, it could be maybe more like Planet of the Apes, where it was makeup, so they could move their mouth and their eyes and be more expressive. So, I don't know for sure, but that sounds right. Yeah, I, and I don't know I don't know about that sketch either. Like It kind of looks almost like a weird like racist caricature. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if it. Would, I don't know if it would have floated very well. But I keep in mind it wasn't Dino. It was uh, I don't know. One of his guys um, suggested just casting an African American as King Kong in in the '76 version. So I I actually didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's in the it's in the from Fay Ray to Peter Jackson. Okay. I movie icon. I can't think of the whole title, so I'm just saying fragments of the title. But it was in there. But that was horribly offensive as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God Almighty. Uh, and uh, you know, I guess we'll we'll go around the room. Uh, I mean, I know people like it. I know it's a huge nostalgia th- movie now. But even as a from childhood through now, I just could never hang with the '76 version um so just let's let's just put all of the issues with bringing the effects to life and stuff from the the canceled universal one let's take that out of the picture um because that's probably the biggest issue with it is like none of their ideas to bring the stuff to life sounded good um what would what would if you could change how things went would you rather have the 76 one we have now, or would you rather have Legend of King Kong? That's for all, both of you. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Legend, but also I don't like the 76 film. Legend at least has Dinosaurs. what could have been... Yeah, di- like, yeah they you know, don't have T-Rex. We get a, tr- a Triceratops, which doesn't sound as appealing, but there's some interesting stuff there for sure. Uh, I hands down prefer the one that was made. I, I like Dino's version. I like that it's um, 
an update of the 1933 version set in the 70s. Um, I I actually feel like this is a weird thing to say. It's almost better without the dinosaurs because um, I don't know. I was always like, how is this giant ape on the island with the dinosaurs? What's the backstory to this? I almost felt like Dino's version was simpler and it was more focused on Kong and his his romantic interest, you know. Um, so I I think from a story perspective, to me that one's better. Uh, I and think I, I'm gonna join Matt with Legend, yeah. just because like my th- I I get that they wanted to make the you know the stuff with uh, Dwan and Kong like push that up front, um, and you know I I always appreciate trying to you know develop characters more, but. It just didn't. It there's just it, it. It's a movie where just not a whole lot happens. It's just I always feel like nothing's happening, and I feel like this version there would at least be like a lot more interesting, crazy set pieces. So I'm gonna go with with Legend. Um, uh, <clears throat> Matt, we're breezing through these questions, so I'm gonna throw a, a curveball in here. Um, so you have Don Glute. Uh, who is a writer, filmmaker, um, and he does some essays on his early fan films, uh, Tor, Son of Tor. Um, have you, I was just wondering, have you, have you seen any of those yourself? I want to. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't. And um, I want to say some of them are available on I Was a Teenage Movie Maker or, or one of those. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't found a copy yet, but I definitely want to see him. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, he these these were probably as far as my understanding of fan films. These were probably the first, I guess, high profile fan films I learned about. Um, I remember reading about him in G Fan. Like Son of Tor had like Tor is like his version of Kong, but it also had like Godzilla, Gorgo, the giant behemoth, uh, the beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Um, all in this little stop motion fan film, um, and that was back when like we still didn't know what Godzilla versus the Wolfman was, so we didn't know. Yeah. So we didn't really know that was a fan film. So so this is like the first like kind of like high profile kind of fan film that I heard of, um, and I can't say much because it was so long ago. Um, but at G Fest, then called G Con, in 1997, Don was there and he showed Son of Tor. So I've seen it, but I'll be damned if I could tell you anything about it. I mean, that, this is 22 years ago, and it's like a a short, short little fan film. So I mean, my memory is extremely hazy i'm sure if you were to put it in front of me right now and i watched it i'd be like oh i remember this but as of as it stands i have no idea i would not be able to tell you what it was but yeah it was interesting and it was kind of cool that he can i forgot all about those until i saw that he contributed that stuff um so that was just a little tangent that uh I, I wanted to throw in there just because uh, it's interesting history, especially now that fan films are like a dime a dozen, and half the time it's just people playing with Bandai toys. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, saw a lot of that at G Fest. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but like these these are the ones where it was like someone really making their own 
stop motion models and you know doing all that stuff themselves um speaking of guest contributors uh one i do want to ask you about is uh the filmation animator robert lamb uh he did a piece about uh kid kong which was a canceled cartoon series from the 80s um and not only that but he contributed a wealth of art and all kinds of information for this book um so first of all how how did you end up tracking him down and getting him to do this and secondly um just tell us a little bit about that project so robert was like a, a dream come true because um okay so i hear about the project kid kong and, and i'll tell you what the details were on that later but to talk about rob um i just found the artwork somewhere so i i did some digging for rob lamb and he had his own website and he he actually included his email address on that and um i i asked i sent him an email and asking him about the project and telling him what i was doing about lost king kong projects and gosh such a nice guy um I think what it was is I was asking permission to use one of his images that was online and he did me one better and he was like, well, you can use that image and I'll give you, um, you know, to publish for the first time, all of these images that, that aren't online that haven't been published anywhere before. So all of those images that are in the print copy, I, I should mention you only get the images with the print copy. That's why the Kindle copy is so cheap. There's no images. So if you want to see Rob's artwork, you've got to get the actual print copy. But yeah, so Rob just gave those to me, you know, to publish. I mean, you know, he sent me scans over email. And so nice of him because, you know, like if you were dealing with like a university archive, they would probably charge you like 20 bucks a photo. But again, he just, you know, let me, I shouldn't say he let me have them. That almost makes it sound like I own those pictures. Of course I don't. I just mean like he gave me you know, the one-time publishing rights to run those photos. And so that was really awesome of him. Um, Super nice guy. So Kid Kong, the project, um, was actually... (laughs) Dino De Laurentiis thought that King Kong Lives would be a hit. And he thought, (laughs) we'll we'll do all of our sequels based on, you know, the baby Kong born at the end. So there was going to be a live-action movie. Uh, his third King Kong movie was going to be kind of like a remake of Mighty Joe Young, but with the son of Kong, you know, that we saw at the end of King Kong Lives. Um, it's a really, really bizarre story, which I do wish this one had been made, and I think I actually would have liked it. Um, so the, the teenage Kong falls in love with the teenage girl who for some reason gets kidnapped by terrorists who hold her hostage at the top of the Eiffel Tower. And the uh, the teenage Kong is afraid of heights, and there's like supposed to be some sort of scene where he goes to the grave of King Kong, his father, and for whatever reason gets the courage to get over his fear of heights, and he climbs the Eiffel Tower and rescues the girl. Um, so that was supposed to be a live-action feature film. And then to tie in with that was going to be an animated series called Kid Kong, and that would have been kind of far out there um it's even more far out than hanna-barbera's godzilla series um because you know in hanna-barbera's godzilla godzilla was still an animal he wasn't really a character but kid kong would have been like um i i kind of get the impression kid kong was probably able to speak 
you know, he would have been like a human <laughs> character who was human sized, and then he would uh, he would grow to fight the monsters, kind of like Minya and Godzilla's Revenge. You know, he'd be human sized with the humans, and he could grow. He could also shrink. Um, those are things that I, you know, I think are kind of odd for King Kong and Dino De Laurentiis and his producer team were actually even more far out. They wanted him to be again, like the Hanna-Barbera Godzilla. They wanted him to be able to shoot lasers from his eyes. They wanted him to be able to fly. <laughs> and I think it was either, it was either Robert Lamb or somebody else from filmation. were like, well, let's not do that. You know, he's too powerful. Um, you know, if he's too powerful, it won't be interesting. And I think they also wanted, the whole thing to be set partially in outer space there would have been like desert planets and jungle planets and again rob lamb stepped in and he was like well you know we have these are all things here on earth you know we've got jungles on earth we've got deserts why don't we just keep this on earth so so robert really reined it in and made it not so far out compared to what dino's producers wanted to do and i think they were gonna actually do it um king kong lives being a flop didn't kill it um it was just that um De Laurentiis and his production crew wouldn't give Filmation enough control, and Filmation just didn't want to get in on that with them. So that's what really killed it. Hmm. That's wild, man. Yeah, that that <laughs> one. Imagining is... Kong with laser eyes and yeah, and... yeah. I mean, keep in mind in the '80s, everything had a cartoon. So like, is, yeah, very true. Yeah, and even the most inappropriate stuff like Rambo. Had a, a cartoon series. Yeah, <laughs> cartoons and cereal. Every there was one a cartoon and a cereal for everything. Yeah, um, but yeah, I I never heard that that was even something that was in consideration until now. Um. Uh, so, yeah, that I mean, he, he it sounds like he just went above and beyond in providing you like every every piece of information and all the artwork you could want. Um, Absolutely, yeah. That's really cool artwork, by the way. Yeah. Record. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how it would have played out, but it, it would probably would have been better than whatever the... I I think it's unlicensed, the, the Netflix yeah, yeah, that's series. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking about. Um, Bird, you watched that, right? <laughs> I <laughs> didn't. Watch I watched one episode, and it was as bad as we're making it sound yeah so. john did hmm. you try uh, king of the apes uh at all there's a blurb in a, in in your book but i think i decided that since i was only reviewing the bad movies i wouldn't also review the bad <laughs> tv series that was a wise decision on your part yeah but i tried and it was yeah i it, speaking of cartoons though i guess uh um because you you do include the mighty kong which was a straight-to-video animated remake of King Kong, a musical animated remake of King Kong around the time the Godzilla and Mighty Joe Young reboots came out. Uh, and uh, I think that... I, th I think that... Is, I mean, John, I don't even know if you know, but that was not licensed. I, I think that one... I think Justin might mention it in his essay about the novelization, but... They were able to get away with that because it was based on the novelization, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, Kong's rights are extremely murky compared to Godzilla. Again, just because it's like Marion C. Cooper created him with the collaboration of Willis O'Brien, which was released under RKO. And then for years and years and years, 
Cooper's estate fought with RKO. And I want to say, under some weird circumstance, Universal, after their remake was officially canceled, like after that, they somehow bought the rights to Kong, but Cooper's estate still owns the print rights yeah. to Kong. Yeah, and then Universal had the film rights to Kong. Yeah, yeah. Which, Cooper's and, son yeah. sold the film rights to Universal, but they kept the publishing rights. RKO owns their films. Dino owns his films. Um, Toho owns their films, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's it's. But then the, the it gets really murky when you get into the public domain stuff because the novelization is public domain. Or actually, um, I didn't know this. Um, Justin in his essay in your book says that it's actually the magazine version of the novelization, an abridged version yeah. of its public domain, not well, even the I, actual novelization. I even want to say that the reason King Kong is only called Kong in Skull Island, the new Skull Island movie, I want to say that's a legal thing. Uh, do you guys recall that? He's never um, called King Kong? I can correct you on that. Okay. Um, it's actually many, U.S. is one of the few territories where it's just titled Kong Skull Island. Um, so in Japan, it was called King Kong of Skull Island. In different countries, it's called King Kong. So that leads me to believe that there's no legal thing. And I know a big part of that was Thomas Tull kind of having to wrangle it wrangle the character from universal a little bit because universal passed on it um not only that though but a lot of the merchandise has king kong on it like um i have the uh i have uh on on my shelf i have the the funko pop figure um and it had the skull island like the movie logo it says kong skull island but the character name and bio was king kong so so they're square okay um, is it because, but that's also what Dino had to do for King Kong Lives, because by the time that movie came out, Universal had the rights to the characters, so Dino had to, right. to go to them and get, and, you know, get the, 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 the rights to use the character and make King Kong Live, so it's the same thing with, uh, Skull Island, um, it's, that is a common, like, theory, and I think it's just... You know, we we do everything in shorthand. I mean, and it's, it's Kong Skull Island. You know, King Kong Skull Island. That's just too many words. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it was released in a lot of places as King Kong. So, um, but yeah, it, it, that is weird though because like, um, I want to say the Mighty Kong, the King of the Apes on Netflix, and then the the early two thousand or. I guess late 90s, early 2000s, Kong the Animated Series all seemed to kind of like be skirting around that. Mm -hmm. Like, notice like none of them ever like say Skull Island. None of them ever like use any character. Like it's in like anytime something comes up, it's always like really vague. Um, And uh, I think those three animated properties share at least a a producer or so so i don't know it's really strange i never really considered them like legitimate kong productions just because like they just seem like oh we'll say it's we'll we'll just use the name kong and we'll be fine and no one can say anything but then also like if they do say something we can say something back it's all very confusing 
it's shocking that anyone in Hollywood is making King Kong movies out like because it's such a mess. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of Hollywood productions, we got the 2005 Peter Jackson Kong, but the original script from his 90s idea was much different. John, can you tell us a bit about the original version and how it differs from the, the 20, uh, 2005 film? I really like his, his 90s version. I think it's better than what he produced. To me, it was maybe a little more streamlined in some ways. Um I felt like the one that was produced was so big and just sprawling and long. I I didn't quite know what to think of the 2005 King Kong. I I don't know. Um, I I think his 96 version would have been better. Um, It's kind of got some Indiana Jones elements to it that I really like. Um, And Darrow, she's not an actress. She's British. Her dad is Lord Darrow in this version. And he's um, a professor who's... Gosh, I, I think they're on an island in Sumatra or somewhere. Um, gosh, I feel so bad because I wrote this book like a year ago and that information's <laughs> not in my head right anymore. Um, but they're on like a an island, um, not like Skull Island. Um, it's you know part of civilization, and um, Jack Driscoll is like the foreman of a logging company. Um, and uh, Professor Dar Lord Darrow finds. Um, this temple, I think, on the land that Jack Driscoll is working on, and that's how they cross paths. And in this temple, he finds this, uh, this, the remains of this cult that worshipped a giant ape named Kong, who supposedly lived on an island nearby. Um, Carl Denham comes into the picture at this point. Carl Denham is like a total villain in this one. Um, not a good he's a funny character but he's darkly humorous um a lot of people die because of him and there's i don't know um you can definitely see a lot of his 2005 king kong in the 96 version there were certain things that carried over like um there was like a cameraman named herb in the 2005 version that's actually in this 96 version of kong and herb gets eaten and all that remains of Herb is like his fake uh, leg that he had. And Carl Denham like takes the fake leg and he's like, oh, send this to his family. And it's like a joke. And I don't, That part, um, yeah, that's in, that's still there in the 05. That's in, okay. Okay, I forgot. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was or not. Yeah, it's like shortly um, after that like dinosaur attack. He's like, we're going to dedicate it to his wife and kids or something like that. Yeah, he's, he's, okay. every time somebody dies, it's the recurring joke that they're going to dedicate okay. something they were doing what they Dang, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, and then the big difference in the ending is that Jack Driscoll was also a fighter pilot in World War One, And Jack Driscoll commandeers his own plane to try and fight off the, the biplanes that are trying to kill Kong atop the Empire State Building. Um, so that's a big difference, you know, because in in the version that Jackson did produce, you know, Jack Driscoll is now just like a playwright, but he's kind of more of a badass than the '96 version. Uh, so, oh, go I'm ahead. Ask question the the same question Bird asked about the other ones. Um, going around the room, would you prefer this version or the one we actually got in 2005? Bird, why don't you go first? It's uh, a good question. Unlike a lot of people, I don't. Like I don't hate the O five version. I think it's merely good. 
I think it could have been great, even amazing. Um, uh, it, the thing is, like, I like... I like the the changes in the original version. You know, I like that Anne is, like, an explorer and the inclusion of her father and this whole mythology surrounding them. Like, I like that stuff. But then on the other hand, there's some stuff in the original version that is just... This is going to sound strange, but, like, a little bit too silly. Like, there's a... The characters are introduced, like, throwing a baseball to each other, like from like airplane to airplane uh and then at the end uh the jack gets in one of the planes to shoot kong down and it's it's a plane that's like hanging in a movie theater i think it is i think it's a movie theater and it's like that's a little bit too stupid for me but the version we got has the the really awful brontosaurus uh chase scene and a lot of really like over-reliance on CGI. Um, the 96 version probably would have used more practical effects. So, like, it's really kind of a give-and-take, but I am gonna... I'm gonna err on the side of the original version just because I like the changes made to the characters more than what he went with in the 2005 version. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I like... I Go ahead, John. Oh no, I, I kind of feel like I already made it clear. I I like the '96 version better. I I just felt like it was a little more different to me. And it's not as yep. it's like you said. I it, I mean, at least I'm gonna take your word for it because you that script's out there and you've read it. I haven't read the actual script, just the synopsis. But um, the version we had is way too long, and this version. <laughs> You know, you don't like the extended version, Bert. This well, this version didn't take a whole hour to get to the island. You know, yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, I, I there's things if if we were to get this version instead, and we had to give up the 05 one, there would be some things in the 05 one that I would miss. But overall, I would probably, yeah, I'm with John on that. What about you? Yeah, I'm probably gonna lean on the uh, on the the 05 version, but like this one seems a bit like overly violent when he takes like a tree and shoves it down the uh dinosaur's throat and like rips out the back of their skull which i'm just imagining uh, the crazy awesome. amount of <laughs> so jackson's i have one of his excerpts from the script in front of me and the way he describes things in his script is just hilarious um okay he he has this is literally jackson uh his writing in the script this is what it says uh Kong rampages after the natives, stomping on them and biting their heads off in a scene that not only gets a PG-13, but is praised by the MPAA for its sensitivity. <laughs> <laughs> like how he's mocking the MPAA in his... In yeah. His <laughs> well, have you, seen, have you seen his early movies, John? No, I haven't. Oh, oh my God. God they're insane. I mean, think... You, you would never think he was he's the guy that made lord of the rings and uh, lovely bones dead, i mean flash, dead alive is insane i was gonna bring up because i'm I, I was curious like i was i was kind of surprised dead alive doesn't get a mention in your book um do you know why i would think that no i i haven't even heard of that <laughs> all right, all right. Totally i'm gonna blow afraid. your mind okay dead <laughs> alive is i it's his third feature um, think like Evil Dead Two, like on crack. Uh, 
Um, it, for a long time, it held the record for the most blood in a movie, like thousands of gallons of blood. Incredibly gory. Uh, imagine a, zo- a incredibly gory Looney Tunes skit hmm. with zombies. Now, <laughs> um, the reason, in addition to Peter Jackson being the director, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is going to be mentioned anywhere in the book, is... The prologue to the film, the the movie is about, like, uh, these guys who are on an island, and they take uh, this, like, rabid monkey from the island, they take it to a zoo, and it bites uh, the main character's mom, and that's what starts the zombie outbreak, but that island in the prologue where they acquire the monkey is Skull Island, um, huh. complete with natives wearing similar garb to in the 33 movie i mean so even in his early career jackson's like showing love to uh king kong which i i think we know now is obvious you know his his movie is obsessed with his favorite movie and then uh (laughs) (laughs) in his remake during uh the scene where uh the skipper in um maybe it's jack i don't know he's he's delivering exposition early in the movie and they walk past the crates of the animals that they've hauled from skull island and in labeled on one of those crates is sumatran rat monkey which is the monkey that caused the zombie outbreak in dead alive Hmm. there you go also at the end his mom turns into a gigantic zombie so technically it's a giant monster movie. You can some, make it happen, Bert. Uh, we can talk about it on this podcast someday. I'm so. just saying. <laughs> so that's that your ho- awesome. that's that's your homework. Go watch Dead Alive. Okay, everyone should watch oh. Dead Alive. Well, yeah, that should have been your homework even without the King Kong connection. But yes, yeah. now you have a special purpose to watch Dead Alive. I feel shame. You For shame. Uh, hey, you, you do enough work finding things people don't know that every now and then we're allowed to know something before you, okay? Yeah. Well, between okay. you and uh, Kevin Deerendorf, like, we have enough material to keep this podcast running for, like, an eternity, basically, just because of yeah. all the stuff you guys Oh, I know, I know, I don't... Uh. Um, one thing I found interesting, I don't even know if you can answer this, but... Um, in addition to King Kong projects, your book also covers, as it should... Mighty Joe Young projects that didn't get off the ground. So, um, you know, there was a remake and a sequel and then a crossover with Tarzan at one point. But I found it interesting. There was a TV version, I guess, that was pitched, and they couldn't do it because Dino had blocked anyone from making a Mighty Joe Young movie. Yeah, that was really interesting. How, um, How did he do that? Like, can I, you do I, that? He, the guy is just so rich. I think what it was, he didn't necessarily block it. He, I think he bought the remake rights to Mighty Joe Young. Just with so King nobody Kong. else could compete <laughs> yep. with him, basically. That, that, is a, that is a dick move, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the funny thing is, people did still compete with him because you had Ape, oh, you had yeah. Mighty Picking Man, and a few others. So. Well, but, but, but again, I think it's Queen Kong and I think Ape, he managed to suppress those for a while yeah he? so yeah Honestly, even he was doing everybody a favor though let's be real well, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah luckily mighty p king man got out there safe and sound that's all that matters okay yeah and that movie, the best that movie one, the too. yeah it's great i i, I, I think far and away that's the best of the kong uh yeah, me too ripoff movies i no contest um but yeah no that that was just super crazy to me it's like if I, it's like if someone wanted to make like a like 
a Superman movie, and then they're like, okay, well, uh, you can't make a Captain America movie while I make my Superman movie. Like, yeah. what? Who are you? What? <laughs> One that I was weird is the, the Neil Marshall prequel. Was it Blood of Skull Island or something? Yeah, Skull Island, Blood of the Kong. Yeah, and I and remember... it was going to be pirates get yeah. shipwrecked. Yeah, I remember hearing about that, and um, that's the one where, like, they give an origin story where, like, the the natives are, like, uh, they're, like, experimenting on the apes, and that's what makes them into, like, King Kongs, I guess, right? I don't remember if that was in that or if that was in the skull island uh comic series that they made um, um i just don't know uh i have the book in front oh okay of me, but okay I, I just looked on my book too and what i've got is that uh the natives have been using unique local plant life as a kind of dna yep. enhancing drug okay to breed yep. huge gorilla guardians to protect them from the dinosaurs yep. that also live on the island yeah. okay i don't like that <laughs> it's, it's another what what's the deal with like like conga um, had the plant serum, and this has the plant serum, and Baby Kong had a plant serum. I, I why is everyone odd. ripping off Conga? I actually like Conga, yeah. but what? Let, not why? Why is everyone doing that? I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't like. I like when he's like a mysterious thing, and like it's like, yeah. what is he? Why is he? I don't know. He's just a mm-hmm. crazy species that lives on this island. No one knows why <laughs> that's yeah. just kind of like mothra don't know why it's she's yeah. just there yeah don't tell me that the infant island people are like injecting caterpillars with <laughs> plant <Yeah>. crap <laughs> i don't <laughs> so i don't know i'm i'm okay with that um uh i do want to ask because i thought it was interesting and i guess it makes sense now hearing you say like it's actually kind of where your book started. But you do, in the back, you have an extensive appendix where you in, you review all kinds of ape movies, sci-fi horror movies with apes. Um, not just giant apes, not just the Kong ripoffs, but just uh, killer ape movies. What What made you decide to go there to you know your your white pongos and your nabongas and it's just like nobody ever really puts those together when talking about kong or kong knockoffs what made you like choose that as something to just extensively cover exactly what you just said nobody ever does it because i have all these books on king kong and pretty much all of them, they just fawn all over the 1933 King Kong, and then they talk crap about all the sequels. They talk crap about the Toho Kong movies. They talk crap about the De Laurentiis remakes, and they don't even mention like Konga and um, Queen Kong and Ape. And like, I wanted to have a book that, like, a King Kong book that actually discussed those and discussed their connection to King Kong, how they were made. Like, I was just shocked that no other authors had actually taken the initiative to do that, you know? Because, like, if you like King Kong, you've checked out Conga, which, in a, on the note of Conga, uh, Herman Cohen, the producer, actually paid RKO $25,000 to rip off King Kong's name. So yeah, he bought the Conga, rights to make that. Yeah, so it, it's like uh, 
like he, he didn't really buy the rights to like remake King Kong exactly, but he wrote he bought the rights to exploit the concept. You know, so Kong is sort of a legitimate King Kong spinoff in a weird way. Kind of how um, the when they made King Kong, what they did with the Lost World. It's like, well, we don't want to exactly, get sued, yeah. So let's buy the rights. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, with those movies and the appendix, again, that's what the whole book was supposed to be, was actually a review book for these movies, and that turned into a little appendix. Um, I don't know, I just, uh, I wanted to see them, and again, I didn't like most of them that I saw, but I wanted to see them. And, um, you know, I just felt like they had their ties to King Kong, like I'd always wanted to see Unknown Island from 1948. Mm-hmm which has a giant sloth, which really isn't an ape, but it sure looks like a giant ape, you know, and it fights a T-Rex. And uh, then there were, like, so many movies in the 1970s, um, the late 1970s, that, you know, tried to inject a giant ape, like the Jules Verne's Fabulous Journey to the Center of the Earth from 1977, also called Where Time Began, has a giant ape in it, which I did not know. Kevin told me that, the book journey to the center of the earth has uh, a primate in it towards the end. So it wasn't actually totally ripping off Dino's King Kong. And then there was like bye bye monkey, which is really weird. Um, it's like some the crazy producer... art house one where like the guy finds a baby <laughs> chimp in the body of King Kong, a uh, King Kong yeah. body. <laughs> yeah. And King Kong's really not like a focus of that film. It's just like, he's an aspect and apparently, um, I think one of my friends on Facebook, I think it was Blake Matthews. Gosh, I hope it was right. I think it was Blake Matthews um, told me that uh, they actually got the Dino De Laurentiis King Kong prop. Yeah. Like they had it from the movie, and that's why they wrote that idea is just because they had it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the Merciful Buddha has a giant ape from 1979. So. What made you like expand outside of just the giant gorilla movies? What like what made you decide to cover like there's no real word for it like normal sized killer ape films? I I just still felt like a lot of those normal sized ape movies were inspired by King Kong because almost always the ape will pick up a beautiful woman and carry her off onto a roof and like that was my connection basically. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you had, you did set out, like, parameters for, like, what would qualify. Um, did you consider mur- uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue at all? I did. I considered it, and I think it was like I couldn't find it, and I was running out of time. And I knew that this appendix wouldn't be totally comprehensive, you know, and if I, I wanted to make it... I don't know if it would it... be possible. <laughs> yeah. I just felt like if I wanted it to be totally comprehensive, it, this book would be, like, years in the making, so... Mm-hmm. Well, that is a good one, uh, Bella Lugosi, uh, Universal. I think someone just put it out in Blu-ray in like a box set of old, like Universal movies with Lugosi and Karloff. Don't quote me on that, but I think I have the old DVD set. That's why. But um, I think there's a Blu-ray version out there. It, but that's one of my favorites. So that's why I was like, "Hey, this is missing." What about Congo? You ever consider Congo? Oh, man. You know what's hilarious? I really considered that one. And I don't know why I didn't do it because I like Congo. Um, I've seen it recently to where I could probably review it. And I think I just forgot. But I wanted to include that. (laughs) Well, I was thinking like, well, I don't know if it shares enough qualities with Kong. Like, you know, no apes are taking, 
women or anything like so i was like okay maybe that's why i didn't make the cut but congo yeah having watched it within the last probably like five to eight years like talk about a movie that is so 90s (laughs) (laughs) that movie is very 90s yeah (laughs) it it hasn't really like aged well like you can tell it's a 90s product i had a congo birthday party when it came out wait oh wow i think i knew this but i I still (laughs) Yeah, my mom took me and my friends to all go see Congo, and, like, I got all the toys. And, like, well, people don't remember because I think it was kind of a bomb, but, like, because it was a Michael Crichton book and because it was so close to Jurassic Park 1 and 2, like, it kind of came out between those. Like, it was really being hyped up as, like... I do remember the toys. It was being hyped up as, like, this is the, like, this is the new Jurassic Park. And then everyone saw it and was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But no, I, I I remember getting the toys. I remember going to the theater and everything. It's I, I must be the only kid out there that had a Congo birthday party. Oh, I want to correct something real quick because I feel really bad. Blake Matthews is one of my really knowledgeable knowledgeable Facebook friends, but it wasn't Blake who told me that. It was Eric Hurd. So, yeah, <laughs> so I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, Eric Hurd was the one who told me that the Kong prop was in bye bye monkey so eric is a huge kong fan is gave me a few really good corrections for future editions okay so if anyone finds out that's not true don't go after blake go after yeah (laughs) (laughs) um not that i would have any uh reason to not believe that because i i've heard that information myself um so of those i mean i guess i mean our listeners are if they haven't seen all the giant ape stuff they're going to at some point probably if they're interested so um to kind of pull them out of that okay thinking about all of the um non-kong ripoff giant ape movies that you review so your human-sized uh killer gorillas or if you could pick maybe two or three that you would say like okay people need to go watch these if you're a fan um what would you say are like the best ones to check out I don't know that people need to watch them, but I like <laughs> Trog. I like yeah. Trog because if you like Hammer, you know, it's got some Hammer stars and it's got kind of a Hammer atmosphere. Um, Schlock was funny. Yeah, John um, Landis. By uh, John Landis. Yeah. That was funny. And they just recently got released on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, Gosh, but what do you need to watch? That's hard to say. Um, those two were the first two that came to mind. Um, I really like the title, King of Kong Island, but the movie sucked. <laughs> um, but it was a cool title, you know. Uh, oh, you know which one? Okay, The Gorilla from 1939 is actually really funny with Bela Lugosi and uh, the Ritz brothers. It actually it wasn't painful to watch because I actually found it very fun, like an old Abbott and Costello movie. And Lugosi is always good in anything. By the way, I yeah. actually, so far, that's the only one I've watched from this book. And I'm very upset with you because I didn't like it at all. <laughs> oh, dang. Oh, well. I, well, it's because I built it up, see, and I had no expectations, and that's probably why I like <laughs> <Right>. it. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this sounds, like, I remember, like, the first 20, 30 minutes I was with it, and then, like, I, I tuned out, and then I, I was with it again for, like, the last, like, five minutes. so um uh yeah there's a lot of movies in here that yeah i think because it's like a regular sized ape people i mean 
in this fandom are would probably look over but yeah there's some there's some solid stuff in here um the ivory ape um one that you gave uh some pretty high marks to is um shikari the indian uh version of king kong basically yeah i just i liked it um I mean, I think if you like Dr. Cyclops and if you like King Kong, it's like you get to see an Indian version of that. And it's also kind of got some nods to the seventh voyage of Sinbad. So it's just kind of a cool little movie all around. Um, you know, if you like fast forward through the dance numbers and all that. <laughs> right. Did you, like did you actually watch all of Banglar King Kong? No, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> you can't pay me enough to do that. I just needed to watch parts of it. And I was like, okay. Yeah, it's wow. Matt and I talked about it. I mean, we didn't watch it, but we did bring it up on uh, our Kong ripoff episode we did, like before Skull Island came out, and like I think it's it's got about as long, maybe longer. I don't know. I think it's longer it, than Peter Jackson. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It might be longer than the Peter Jackson King Kong. I don't know how that was possible, but they yeah. did that and added dances and songs. So that just <laughs> it's hours and hours and hours long but yeah like if you there's like compilation videos on youtube of like i don't know all the quote-unquote best scenes and like that's really all you need to watch probably yeah (laughs) um piggybacking off uh talking about the ones that are actually the best i'm gonna go around the room and just ask which lost kong film would you have liked to see made so john i'm gonna start with you um okay since i like the dino kong for some reason okay i'm, I'm gonna do a couple just because we didn't we actually didn't talk about the three that i really wanted to see get made um number one is king kong versus orca <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> um i found like a really awesome fan synopsis of king kong versus orca online um and i like the original orca um the the fan synopsis is that charlotte rampling's character for from orca is part of the team that's trying to revive King Kong after he falls off the Empire State Building, and then they they're transporting him back to Skull Island. And Orca, you know, hates Charlotte Rampling's character, and so Orca like chases King Kong's boat, and like he damages it, and then they have to set King Kong free to, to like protect them from Orca. And I, it probably would have been a little bit better than the shark fight and ape but like i don't know it's just too cool of a title it's it's funny i just glanced over at this is pure coincidence i just glanced over at my dvd shelf and my copy of kong 76 is in a three movie pack with orca Orca. and congo congo yeah i have that same one That's crazy. But yeah, okay, but no, if I had to pick one, actually the one that I think would have been like maybe beneficial to the franchise, I think it would have been really cool, is The New Adventures of King Kong from 1933, which is where it's not a prequel and it's not a sequel. It's like in between. It's like a side story set during the events of the original King Kong. It's basically Kong's voyage to New York. Uh, the, the venture gets damaged off the coast of another mysterious island. And these sea monsters start attacking the crew, and they're like, wow, these sea monsters are so terrible, we're going to turn Kong loose to fight him. They turn Kong loose, he fights the sea monsters, then he like swims to the island, gets loose, and they have to recapture him all over again. I actually think that's a cool story. Um, I I really would have liked to have seen that one, and I don't think it would have damaged Kong's legacy. I think you would have had a really cool 
trilogy of King Kong, Son of Kong, and the New Adventures of King Kong. I I like it. I don't know. Yeah, that that was interesting that they did like a in between quill. I would have picked that one, or I mean, the easy choice is is like King Kong versus Frankenstein because I I just think that would have been cool to see stuff yeah. back in the day. John, another suggestion if you do a, 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 another edition of this book is Robot Monster. I thought about it. Um, that's one I thought about. And then speaking of other editions, Justin Mullis sat in with, with me on my panel, and all I remember is he had this mind-blowing cool factoid, and I was like, oh, thanks, Justin. I have to do a second edition now. And now I can't remember what it was that he said that was so awesome. <laughs> Well, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, all no, right. I, I have to write this stuff down immediately when I hear it to remember. Right. So. Um, uh, and you can include Dead Alive in the next one. All right. Yeah. Uh, Matt, um, if you had to pick yeah, something. I already answered the question. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Like I said, I, I like the new Adventures of King Kong, and the obvious choice would have been something like uh, Kong versus Frankenstein. I mean, an, another stop motion Kong made by you know the, basically the original people behind the the first film would have, is perfect to me. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I would Willis O'Brien's Kong versus Frankenstein, or whatever title you want to reference it under, would probably be my top one uh i don't know i feel like that's probably kind of a cliche answer but um another one that uh i would have liked to see uh we didn't really talk about any of the japanese stuff probably because we've talked about it on other podcasts but um king kong versus abera i mean i guess i don't know is that a cop out because that's basically what we have (laughs) it's like they just took a sharpie and crossed out kong and wrote godzilla (laughs) you know um but, you know, seeing Kong interact with Mothra would have been cool. Maybe we'll get to see that. I don't know. Um, in the future. But um, also, uh, I, I don't know how well they would have been able to pull it off effects-wise, but uh, 1991, the um, Godzilla vs. Mechanic Kong, where they go into Godzilla like Fantastic Voyage and prevent him from like melting down. Um, Mechanic Kong like, injects him. Uh, that one always kind of piqued my interest. Um, and I mean, yeah, Toho wanted to do a King Kong vs. Godzilla 2, but it sounds like it's a lot like the first one. They just, like, reverse the roles a little bit. What is interesting mm-hmm. about that, though, is that that script does mention that uh, Godzilla is unconscious and presumed yep. dead in uh, that... Are it, they going to, like, make his body into a theme park? Or right, yeah, well, it, well, yeah. even... John, did that carry over into the first drafts of Godzilla versus Mothra also, where it was Godzilla's body that was the theme park attraction? Exactly right, yep. Yeah, it, because, I mean, the characters assume he got killed in his battle mm-hmm. with Kong, so... Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, another Toho Kong with a better suit <laughs> would have been awesome. I don't know if, if the better suit part had any chance of happening but um but yeah those are mine um and then yeah there's some that i'm glad we didn't get but yeah uh frankenstein and uh 
Godzilla vs. Mechanicong are my two. And then, I mean, geez, I, I mean, we this book has so much content. We didn't talk about, um, uh, geez, just to run through some things. Um, Tarzan versus King Kong. Yeah, Tarzan versus King Kong, and then that didn't happen. And it's, at one point, it was Tarzan versus Mighty Joe Young. Um, uh, Baboon, which was a, a, a movie about a Yeti that Willis O'Brien was trying to do, and it. Uh, at one point, uh, Carl Denham was going to be a character in that, so it would even have some crossover with Kong. Um, the Korean movie that um, I guess now exists, but nobody's really seen it, Space Monster Wing Magui. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so much content in this i mean it's really jam-packed if if anyone out there already has john's uh lo- book the lost films which covered you know godzilla and gamera movies that never got made like this is about as dense um uh and yeah there's so much stuff in here we didn't even mention um so it is well worth your time um very comprehensive yeah, and and it's a it's a it's a brisk read, um, but it's good stuff. Um, so, John, what can you tell us? Uh, what you're always writing, <laughs> always. So, yeah. So, what what can you tell us about things that you have in the works uh, and things that um, people can keep an eye out? We want you to be able to plug anything you have uh, in in the in the making. I had a weird past couple of years where I would start a book and then I'd get an idea for another book and I'd start that one and take a break from the other one. And it's kind of just so happened that like I've finished all of them at once. So I'm going to have to actually space them out. Uh, But my first one that should come out within the next month is uh, it's not a film book. It's a cryptozoology book. And it's uh, called Cowboys and Saurians, as in like cowboys and dinosaurs. So it's all about these old newspaper articles from the uh, 1800s where people claim that they saw dinosaurs. So if you're into cryptozoology, uh, that'll be out. Um, I, I've got a book finished. Uh, I'm just waiting to get it edited. It's called uh, Writing Japanese Monsters, as in like screenwriting. And it, it really details the creative writing process as far as these films went, you know, because. I just thought it was interesting that we've got a book, you know, an English language book on Eji Tsuburaya now by August Rigoni, and then we've got an Eng- English language book on Ishiro Honda by Ed and Steve. And I thought it would be really cool to do a book on the writing process and the writers, you know, like Sekizawa and Kimura. And so this, uh, the writing Japanese monsters, I would hope will be out sometime in. 2020 you know again because it's done but i want to get it edited and get some some information in there um so hopefully you know we look forward to that um i did another one at the same time as that called editing japanese monsters which is about all the different um cuts of the existing films like godzilla godzilla king of the monsters kozilla Tokyo 1960 um every single cut that i that existed that i could find i actually watched and I compare them and that one I'm not done with but it's already like 600 pages so it's like um, uh, a monster I don't know when that'll be done and um, so then lastly um, this December uh, I should release the second edition of the lost films and to be honest with you I didn't have to do a second edition I had enough new material I honestly could have done a sequel 
but I didn't like the idea of a sequel. I wanted it all to be under one roof. So like, if you think it's just got a few minor tweaks, it doesn't. Um, it's got tons of new content. A lot of that is thanks to you guys. Like, uh, you guys were the ones who turned me on to the 1998 Daimajin remake. Um, that's covered comprehensively. Gamera versus Phoenix. I actually got uh, the novel for that and translated it and read it. So that's in there. Um, just tons and tons of new content. Nice. So again, should be out in December. You are a writing machine, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna have to have you on for that in uh, the was the dinosaur movie we always talk about, Monster Birds. Yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You guys promised to do that at G Fest for my birthday. You said we could report record that podcast finally. We will, we will. You just need to stop me. writing okay. a book every five okay. minutes, and we can finally do okay. it. Well, and and obviously we'll have you on for those other books, the writing and editing books. Uh, before we head out, though, for John, for you and for anyone listening at home that might be interested, uh, Dead Alive is on YouTube in its entirety. Um, mm. Amazing. Go watch it. And, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. And uh, we're coming up on Halloween, so it's a good watch. Um, and uh, so that's part of everyone's homework. Uh, also, buy the book um, because there's a lot of stuff in there. And... Um, uh, and can we end the whole if Godzilla loses, we're going to freak out thing? Because who cares? That's oh, my I final word. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't care if the MonsterVerse just continued with King Kong um, because I, I don't really get what the rights are right now between Toho and Legendary. So, I mean, if we can't have Godzilla, I'd be totally cool with King Kong, you know? <laughs> well, these movies need to make money, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, who knows what's yeah, going to happen this, with the next This one. whole, like, breaking even thing, if that, like, is not... <laughs> I don't... I'm not sure if it... Uh, I it don't... may not have, yeah. They're... Yeah, they're... Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, John, uh, it was a blast. It's always fun uh, getting you on here and catching up with you and uh, talking about whatever crazy things you're uncovering out there, doing uh, the work the rest of us are too lazy to do. So thanks again. <laughs> ah, thank you, guys. Thanks, <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time. <laughs>